0: Hi, friends.
3: You think you know what you want, but you might be wrong. And it's possible that what you're looking for is completely different from what will make you happiest long term, because I think people just get so caught up in like, I know what I want, I just have to find it. And it's like, well, actually, maybe you need to expand your horizons a little bit.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Should I Delete That? I'm Em Clarkson. And I'm Georgie Swallow. We've got Georgie Swallow back. Indeed. Just in time for Love Week. Which I love. Who doesn't love Love Week? Who doesn't? I used to hate that. Can I just tell you the worst did thing you? I did? Did you? Oh my God, can I just tell you the worst thing I ever did? We were... Oh no. What okay. did you do? I remember my mum once, when I was... It was at school, and my mum surprised me with a Valentine's chocolate. And she's done it every year. Well, she doesn't do chocolates anymore. If you're listening, Mum. Yeah, come we on, Francie. We miss the chocolates. <laughs> but she, every year, she would um, do, a, still does a Valentine's Day card for us, like, dear M, happy Valentine's Day, love, and then do a question mark, like, ooh, who's your Valentine? Yeah. And she did it for me at school once for chocolates. No. And I was so angry with her because I was so embarrassed because I knew it was my mum and obviously everyone else knew it was my mum as well do you know where I thought that story was going though I thought you were going to say I opened at school and then went round asking people who (laughs) gave it to me (laughs) <laughs> no, I knew and instinctively I was so angry because I was so embarrassed and if you're so oh. mean to you, one. Like teenage girls are so mean to their mums. Aren't they? I was so mean to and I was so, I was like, how could you? Like you ruined everything. But it's you done embarrassed out of me. Love I love it. I know. And with hindsight, it's my deepest shame. Can you please do that to your daughter as well, please? I'm thinking like at the age of thirteen at peak embarrassment age. That's i I must have been eleven oh devastating it does make your toes curl a little bit. i know and she was being so sweet did any of the other parents get their kid no oh, no she, she was oh, just the just best mom just she you was though. just the she was just better than all the other parents and that's how i thanked her <laughs> i obviously have never forgiven myself it's one of those things that i feel it's like i've done a few things in my life as mm-hmm. a child mostly as a child where yeah. you just you're like oh God, why I did i do worst. this <laughs> yeah so i was the worst anyway happy valentine's day happy v day it's not bad it's happy valentine's day eve 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 Eve. Eve Eve, but the whole episode is. Eve Eve. The, exactly. The whole episode is love themed, so that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, just an update from from Alex. Girl Alex. She's she's living, she's great. Thriving. She's but she just needs to be in her bubble right now. Thriving as a mama bear. Yeah, exactly. So we're just gonna leave her to it. Um and we got Georgie back to tell me something good, please, bad or awkward. My good? Is I'm going on a solo adventure this week, and I'm so proud of you for that. All the way to Sri Lanka, on me, Todd. It's a, I'm terrified, but I'm it, so excited. so great. I just think like like bucket list time. Like yeah. this is a real bucket list adventure, and it took a, a lot of cojones for me to say yes to, and I'm so excited about I'm it. For going on your, own. I'm so proud of you. I know, but you're gonna I know I know what happened. You're going to come back with like 50 new friends, and I'm going to be like, Yeah, yeah, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> Didn't you have a great time? Sorry, yeah. who is that? <laughs> yeah, fuck off. <all>. Jenny, who? <laughs> you will get the shit. <laughs> I'm um, going to get the shit. You're going to get the shit. <laughs> Nothing's more certain than you're going to get it's the shit. It's fine. Shirts. I have actually bought anti diarrhea tablets, so they're going in the backpack. <laughs> we went to Sri Lanka with my dad a few years ago, and as a thank you present for the trip, I framed him a packet of Dilrolight as a reminder of the trip. I was really all worried what you were going to say your gift was then. <laughs> framed him as shit. <laughs> yes. a shit. Re- a really runny one. That's where my brain went. <laughs> like... <laughs> okay, what could possibly be bad at this time of great excitement for you? Oh, it was bad. It was real bad. Okay. So the other night, as I am packing for said adventure, which in itself is... Is a bad time for me because I'm not a great packer. I'm not the most organised. You're of a terrible packer. You're the it. worst packer I know. I'm like a panic packer. That's. I mean, I actually can't. T- I can't <laughs> speak to your actual panic. your packing, but I can speak to the whole atmosphere yeah, around the packing. panic. <laughs> it's horrible. Well, that experience was made ten times worse because it was that midnight, and I've put loads of stuff on my bed to try and organise it. And I thought, right, look oh. at me being an organised human over here. And I obviously then realised I had to get into bed. So instead of folding things picking them away you know you just kind of shake it off the bed Mm. and that's future georgie's problem and as i did that the mother of all spiders was sitting in the middle of my bed like making himself far too comfy and as if that was bad enough i then panicked a bit because he was so chonky you've got to put him in the glass get him under and i like used my passport because i thought well that's you know it's thick and it's sturdy and i opened my door it's windy It's dark, it's midnight, and I walked up and down my balcony about five times because I was too scared to let this chonk of a spider out, and I'm muttering to myself, I'm in panic, it was a fluster of an evening, and I see my neighbour's light turn on, because they can obviously hear a crazy lady outside. Instead of going, oh, better be quiet and just deal with this as an adult, I called their name (laughs) at midnight while we're both in our pyjamas help me and my amazing neighbour very kindly had to come out and dispose of said spider but that whole instance in itself is my bad because I'm just slightly mortified at the fact that a 31 year old couldn't get rid of the terrifying spider on my bed it was not great in your bed though it's such it was on my bed it's such an invasion I nearly spooned him it's fine I had to burn my house down really afterwards at least the bed that's why you're here yeah I've (laughs) got nowhere else to go it is late we were waiting (laughs) got there as we go still here? <laughs> um what? yeah that's really bad well the, the, the its wife is upstairs in our in Arlo's bedroom oh my god that was a chunky one as well uh, uh, that's bad enough and I don't know what's going on it's not spider season I don't know what they're all doing get out isn't it, it what zodiac season is it right now has it got anything to do with spiders no <laughs> it's, aquar- it's spider season's like September Oh, i did be... hear that conkers are meant to help deter spiders yes, in september when conkers are out there's no con- it's february where are you gonna find a conker this is blossom season baby i don't know who's got conkers they can send me and M. yeah any please. Conker collectors <laughs> please we'll pay help a girl out. um what have you got for me good uh, just good vibes just good vibes Love that. um i mean I, it was Arlo's birthday party since <sighs> we last spoke on the pod which was so lush thank you for coming you're um, welcome that was just really lovely to have her like so full of love and 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 I'm doing really well my running and everything does feel quite good but it does it does also link with my bad because as well as being really good everything's just quite hard at the moment also and it's like I just feel like well I mean is it you're looking at me like this is a surprise like I haven't just been crying to you <laughs> I'm just I'm like doing it to the pod different. you know I'm like oh, oh that's news this, <laughs> this sounds sad um it, like, I just can't get the fucking balance right at the moment. I'm either, like, absolutely fine or I'm not. But that doesn't sound... That sounds weird. But, like, I'm fi- I am am fine, even when I'm not fine. But it was just, like... Like, today we were supposed to go to VA and how long ago did we buy these tickets? Months. 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 And that's me months. and you. Like, we are not buying not tickets months <laughs> in advance, people. But we were so excited to go to the Chanel show because my mum went and said it was absolutely amazing. Mm. It was a sold-out show. We literally got the last tickets available. They were today. And I was so excited. Like, I've literally been really looking forward to it. And then Arlo had her jabs on Monday, which were fucking brutal. One-year jabs. Didn't really think about them until they, they were upon us. You've just had them recently. I did. I'm about the same mental age as Arlo. One years so. old. Um, and anyway, they've just really hit her hard. Sleep's yeah. been 50 million times worse than it was. She's got a cold. She's got a fever. Like, everything's just been like, oh my Her God. little teethies are coming through. Her little teeth. She's walking. So that's a big step. Like, it's just all... Fucking go, <laughs> and she just was like, and I actually she didn't want to go to the show. But in a year, in in our entire mother daughter relationship, we haven't had that. She's yeah. been, you know, like we did Japan, like we do everything. She comes, she she's a really um adaptable. She's a go getter as a just, baby. She's like, yeah, she's a she's go getter. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. She's just, she's such an Aquarius. But she's, yeah, she's so normally whatever so, and today she was just having absolutely nothing and, and we was all like, have them. yeah and then she was crying and then I was crying so then I had to ring you and be like I can't do it <laughs> then I cry no. but no what you did do this is my good actually what oh, you no. did do is that you followed me home from the show in your own car stopping at M&S to buy biscuits and flowers snacks and crumpets and chocolate and pretzels <laughs> <laughs> And food so um, makes everything better. I know, I know, it is the key to my heart. You came here and we didn't go to no. the show, which is sad, but you did come here and we went to soft play and then It was adorable. You cleaned up the fridge and the freezer. <laughs> and then you bathed my baby. And I, then you listened to me cry. I don't I mean, I realise my really nice evening was on the back of your really bad time, but I've had a great time. Well, I love you. So you're my good, literally. Aww, you, you love you. you alone are the good. That's um, no, not true, because there are other goods, but you, today... No, I'm going to take today, all credit for the good. Today, I am the, the sole good. good in the universe, right this second. You have to share it with my baby. <laughs> There's a law. Done. Um, Happily. I'm a dog. Oh, little boober. Um, Sorry, can part of my bad be that she tried to hunt me earlier? No, I didn't know. That you was no. I said it I mean, That I was... was... <laughs> Stop being so frigid. Alright, okay, awkward before we get into the live. Okay, so my awkward happened this morning. So... I'm a bucket list babe right now. I've got a lot of things that I wanna say yes to. You're in a bucket list era. Yeah, and one of them is I wanna get my motorbike licence. So every time I see someone on their bike, I'm like, Oh my god, look at that like motorbike queen, look yeah. at that king, like he's thriving on his little bike. And where They don't I'm, like it when you call them little bikes, little bikes. They like it when you say on oh, that hog, big yeah. hog. You Between get on your hog. It's not like yeah. little tiny bike. Yeah. Um, and where I live, when you look out my window, all the motorbikes of the people that live there are right under my window, and I always see these like young adults leaving on them. I'm like you guys are sick. Like yeah. And I was actually at my window seat, like watching one of them leave, and I was like, you badass person. So I start filming them because I'm like, this is really cool. And in my head, that's acceptable. I mean, you can't see who it is. They have a helmet on it's, it's, like, a, it's, weird. it's like it's weird but like i was it's like really in my head it was fine and <laughs> out of your head it's not. in my head it was okay your and honor he, <laughs> he gets on his bike and he like pushes himself back and little legs and little he, legs <laughs> this poor man he's like, he's a like i'm a one. hardcore motorbike dude yeah and there was no time like he didn't like glance around he lifted his head up, and I'm on the second floor, straight up and directly at me with my camera filming him, which means he knew I was doing it because he immediately looked up. Yeah. He saw me filming, Weird. and instead of me being like, hey, neighborino, or at least doing something, I panicked and ducked on the floor, and now I have to move. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to go. No, I have to. So I'm going to Sri Lanka. I ain't coming back. Like fucking weirdo. Eh? Dude, how weird is Dude, that's that? that's really because weird. Because now, and now I'm that's... worried like that poor person is going to be like, why was she filming me? And I wanted, a normal person would have opened their window and gone, your bike's really cool. I'm sending it to my boyfriend. Like they would have thought on their feet and gone, to... no, I panicked, lobbed my phone, dropped to the ground, and now I can't live there anymore. Yeah, and I can't. needed the ground to swallow me up. And I that's can't go home really ever. bad. Now I really do know why you're here. It's 9%. No. Go home. No. You can't. No! Um, I can only no, leave and really come back in the cover dirty, of darkness. That's really weird. And you know what the worst thing is? Why is are you I wanna be it? Because I was like, I was actually gonna put it on Instagram and be like, guys, look like, how sick this person is on their bike. Like, I wanna be that person. So it was all complimentary. But I was stalking them essentially and now yeah. I want to go in the witness protection even though I'm like the stalker. You don't get to go in the witness protection. But I would That's like not to. not for you. Can, Can I... Go, where do I apply? This no for you. <laughs> they, they're all there to avoid people like well, you, you fucking... I, I've actually thought of a plan though because what I'm going to do is when I become a biker babe, which is obviously going to happen and I park my bike with all these people, I'm going to like beat them to the punch so they don't think i they know who I am in case they do. I don't know. You're I'm going to go there. You're never going to take your helmet off. No, helmet's <laughs> never going to come off and I'm going to go, guys... Do you ever see that weirdo filming you from upstairs? And then I'm not that weirdo. They won't be like, the weirdo will ask we're that. They'll assume a really I'm not. really long game here. Mm-hmm. And I'll dye my hair and grow my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to cancel your lip threading appointment <laughs> yeah. Um Please have a good awkward for me. Help me out. you were with me on my awkward. I forgot to wear socks to soft play today. <gasps> oh yeah, screw mine. Yours is worse. It's... it's it's foul. Like I do not even think it's allowed, and I did look everywhere for a sign, and it didn't explicitly say please wear socks. But it's unspoken. You're at soft play. Wear socks. You're in public. You if shouldn't have your toes I out. Got a Veruca, It's no less than I deserve. Like I deserve. Oh if I caught one today, you're gonna get like I know feet hurt. I know, please. and I deserve it because I should have worn socks. And the second I got there, I saw my mistake. But I. What am I supposed to? And it was busy. It was. Busy. And it's not oh, just, just kids. Scene, it's it No, no, no. Adults. Kids, I could handle. Also, my toes are super hairy, but that's besides the point and evidence of good circulation, so we're not going to worry Is about it? that. Apparently so. Oh, I'm always going to enjoy hairy toes now. Okay, do you want to enjoy mine? <laughs> but, um, you're foul. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I was so aware of it and and this other woman was quite nice and she was talking to us. But like, music. You know she was looking at your toes. Absolutely. Say. She and knows. I, and I know, and I know. I could hear her and her friend talking in hushed tones and I know that they said, like, she's not. Can you believe she hasn't got socks on? Which is fair You're now forever I'm, every time you go gonna be like, oh, that's the woman who didn't wear socks. I know, and I thought what I thought was gonna happen is that the- when the woman came down, the woman who ran it, well, I thought she was gonna come down and say, Do no, you so- put your socks on. Oh. And when she came downstairs, I, I got, no- I got palpitations. I got like, you've got too many piercings in, and this teacher's about to notice. Imagine how you'd feel if it was like someone else's feet, and you could see their feet just like wandering around in no, there. No, don't no, no, because I was- no, yeah, no, because would. Yeah, it would make things. everything inside me cringe. I'd be like, Mm-mm. and that's this, what they were what all thinking about you. Just leave my child to the stalker. Just to leave the stalker after her to see that fucking weirdo who wouldn't take the bike helmet off the whole time <laughs> imagine walking in with just a bike helmet hi this is my baby <laughs> they, uh, oh. <laughs> no that just sounds bad enough as it is i'll do that next time so that they won't recognize me by my feet we need Should to, just two, two bike Arlo's helmets off. please we'll go to health <laughs> <laughs> we need helmets please so a successful week on all parts <laughs> exactly that <laughs> um so that's that without further ado without further ado, an episode that we absolutely loved. And to be honest with you, before we did it, I was like, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure how much there is a stand to learn here, particularly because I've been in a relationship for ages. But what I found fascinating about this episode was learning about attachment styles and about, like, who I am within the relationship that I'm in. Like, I thought this was just going to be, like, for single Pringles, which I thought me and Alex, girl Alex, were not qualified to Mm -hmm. do as interviewers. But it ended up being so fascinating. And I've talked to so many people about it since we recorded it. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Without further ado, here is Logan Urie. Hi, Logan. Thank you so much for joining us. The, the, I was say this evening, but that's irrelevant. Time's irrelevant. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> what is time anyway? Time is just the construct. Don't get bogged down with it. <laughs> I am so excited to talk with you. You are like, the queen of dating, right? Like, that's your, that's what I'm, I'm knighting you, queen, queen, coronating. I love it, thank Um, you. And there's so much I want to talk to you about. Obviously, Hinge, which is, I mean, actually, I'm going to say thank you. My sister's, boyfriend came to us via hinge i make him sound like he arrived in the post but um yeah <laughs> she she found him on hinge um so obviously hinge and everything and there's so much i want to talk to you about but i'd really love to know what where this all started for you and what dating looked like for you and what the moment was where you just thought something has to change and i'm going to become the queen of this land
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for knighting me. It feels very official. I appreciate it and I'm super happy to be here with you. So, yes, I work as the Director of Relationship Science at Hinge, which is a dream job. I get to talk about dating, research dating, learn about dating, help people with dating, and so that's a really, really fun role in which I'm getting to work with our marketing team and our product team and our research team. And so, I've worked there for almost 4 years and I get to think about dating all the time and then um, outside of Hinge, I also work as a dating coach, working with people one on one, and I write a newsletter and I teach classes. So I'm kind of thinking about dating all the time, and I love it. That's what I wanted, and I started doing this stuff around eight years ago. Really, when dating apps just kind of started popping off, I was like, "This is very new. This feels different. This is not the same as a matchmaker. This is not the same as meeting somebody at work." Like, it just felt very new, and I was so interested and curious about it that I was like, "How can I start learning about it?" So I started researching about it. Talking to experts, hosting events, and it's kind of transformed into a few different things, which was my book, How to Not Die Alone, which came out a few years ago, this work at Hinge, the one on one work that I do. And really, I'm just such a curious person. I have a background in psychology. And so, when I was thinking, how can I contribute to this space? How can I help people? I thought, well, what do I have that feels different and unique? And so what I have is this research background and specifically in this field called behavioral science, which is the study of how we make decisions. And so I thought a lot about how does decision-making apply to dating? And that's really kind of where my specialty is, which is lots of people want to be in a relationship. Why are they single? Why is it not working out well? it's a culmination of decisions. Are they making good decisions that propel them into a relationship or are they making bad decisions where they're repeating the same negative patterns over and over again? And so I like to break down dating into its small parts and then say, where are people getting it wrong and how can I help them make better decisions along the way so that they wind up in that dream relationship?
0: So prior to you learning about online dating and apps, what were you doing? What was your profession- Was it psychology?
3: Yeah, so I worked at Google right out of college. So I studied psychology undergrad, and then I worked at Google, and I had a series of different jobs at Google, and they were all interesting. And I had this one job um That I had for a while, which was running this decision science team. So basically, it was called the irrational lab, which is the idea that people are often irrational. And how can we help them understand that? How can product and marketing and different teams at Google understand how people are irrational? So it was already applying psychology to the product world of Google. But in my spare time, I was like, I'm obsessed with dating. It's so interesting. Everyone's having trouble. I'm having trouble. This is so interesting. And so I started this series called Toxic Google Modern Romance. So a platform to basically bring people in to talk about dating. And that was really a pivotal moment because I was like, oh, there's a there there. Like a thousand people signed up for the group in a in a day. Um, lots of people would come to the events. Millions of people would watch it on YouTube. I'm sure you have had this feeling before with your podcast and your Instagram and other things where you're like what i'm putting out there people are resonating with i should do more of this because this is what people need and it's like that really special moment when you hit on a need and that's how i felt when i started that series
1: can i ask about your personal life at that time you said you were like struggling with dating yeah 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 and i think that's always a really interesting thing because i imagine that the experts on dating either they're like dating all the time very successfully although what does that even look like Mm -hmm. because surely if you were dating very successfully then you wouldn't need to keep dating because you'd have succeeded at it so I don't know I don't know what I imagine
3: a dating expert's life to look like but at that time what did your dating look like it is really interesting when you just think about the world of experts like a friend of mine is an expert on the psychology of motherhood But she's not a mother. And, like, she is a doctor. She has studied this for years. She has every piece of expertise in the book. But people still give her a hard Mm. time because she's not a mother. And so it is interesting, like, what people expect from their experts. And so, anyway, just, like, as a meta point, I always find that interesting. Um, For me, so... I have always liked dating. Like, I had boyfriends in high school. I had fun boyfriends and flings in college. Like, I was always actively interested in romance and dating and all of that stuff, which, like, now I know is, like, a certain type of dater, whereas, like, there's people who maybe were really curious about dating but weren't doing it at all or they weren't prioritizing it. I would always say it was, like, a theme in my life. Like, Sunday brunch was always, you know, what happened last night? Like, who are you interested in? All of that stuff. When the dating apps started coming out, really like the swiping apps, that's when I noticed like this just feels different. Like the first night that you have one of them and you're going through all these people, I could just tell it was like the psychology of this is crazy. Like, who likes me? Do you like me? Do you, do you like me? Like all of that stuff was really a fascinating experience for me. Um, in my life, I had had post college a number of relationships, maybe like a year or two. Um, some that I met online some that I met at work, a combination of that. But a pivotal moment for me was when I met this guy who I was super interested in. And I had like a huge crush on and I thought he might be interested in me. And now I would call him a fuck boy. And I would say maybe we're in a situation ship. But at the time, I was just like, I don't understand. Like, I like this person, why doesn't he like me back? And I have a lot of compassion for that person that I was because it was just so painful. It was like, I don't understand. Why isn't this person interested in me? How can I convince them to like me? And it really became this thing of, well, if you reject me, then you must be better than me. So how can I convince you of my value? Whereas nowadays, I would want to say something like, if someone's not interested in you, like that's what you need to know and move on and find somebody who is interested in you. And so for me, it was really this feeling of, being in a lot of pain around dating, having a hard time, not really understanding like the bigger message of you want somebody who you choose and they choose you. So then I ended up seeing a dating coach and that was super helpful because she helped me understand, wait, this guy doesn't make me feel good. He brings out an anxious side of me. This isn't a healthy dynamic, but wait, how do I want to feel? And there's a guy at work who I'm friends with, who makes me feel that way. And Mm -hmm. through her encouragement, I ended up kind of pursuing that guy or being pursued by him, you know, sort of mutual interest. And now we are married and we've been together for almost nine years. And so I feel like I hopefully am a good example to people of it's not like, oh, dating was so easy for me and I figured it out. It's like dating was hard for me. Then I did work to understand myself. And then I figured it out and have this great marriage and relationship. And I want other people to do that. And so I think if someone's dating has been too easy, they might not even be that approachable for someone because it's like, oh, you're so beautiful. Like, everyone's fallen all over you and you got married at 21. It's like, well, that's certainly not my situation. And so I'd rather be a person who was like, I was in the trenches with you. These are the steps I took to get out of it. And I want to help you do that too. It's... It's actually, when you describe it, it's actually quite complicated,
0: isn't it? It's like a multi-point yeah. thing because you have to work on the psychology of other people and the people that you're dating, but also yourself as well, right? Like you're saying, you were kind of like, you were looking in the wrong places.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, you can't, you can't control other people. You can just try to change yourself and even changing yourself is pretty hard.
1: Um, You use the words anxious in reference to your own dating style. Yeah. And something I'd be really interested to hear about is attachment styles. Like it's something that, again, like I don't feel like we have the language for that before before the apps 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't like common parlance where you'd understand what kind of attachment style you had. Mm. Can I infer from the fact that you were describing yourself dating as anxiously that you had an anxious attachment style? Yeah, definitely. And if you did and anybody's listening and they relate to that, what can they
3: do to unanxious it <laughs> to make it secure. Yes, sure. I'm happy I'm happy to give a quick background on that. So, um yes, I would I would say when I was dating I had an anxious attachment style and in dating my now husband, he helped me have a more secure attachment style. And for people who aren't familiar with this, so there's um a framework called attachment theory. It's based on really good science and relationship research, and it goes back to a number of factors, but it's really like, how do you interact in romantic relationships? And what's your relationship with independence? And what's your relationship with intimacy? And so there's people who are anxiously attached daters like I was, where they really want to have a lot of overlap with their partners. They want to talk to them all the time. They want to be in touch. They want to know where each other is. And when they meet someone, they really want to lock it down and be in that relationship. They have a lot of fear of abandonment and a lot of what anxiously attached daters spend time doing, unfortunately, is worrying about things like, are you not interested in me? Did you meet someone else? Why did you not text me? And they want to have this closeness. There's avoidant attached daters who are sort of the opposite. They don't want somebody to get too close. They feel like when you get too close, I'm going to lose my independence. You're going to smother me. Love is feeling like somebody is kind of all over you and you don't have your own space. And so when somebody gets close to them, they push them away. And then there's securely attached daters who are sort of in the middle in the best way where they want intimacy and they want connection, but they also want independence. And so they can be close to you and tell you that they like you and share their real feelings, but they also can take space for themselves. They don't constantly need to be in touch. And so securely attached daters are really great because they have that balance. And so an anxiously attached dater who dates somebody secure, that could be really helpful for them. Because for me, it was like, when I would do my old patterns, my now husband would say, hey, you know, seems like you're upset. We should talk about this in person. And it was like breaking these patterns that I had and it helped me become more secure. And then with avoidant attached daters, if they are dating somebody who's secure, that secure person helps the avoidant attached daters get closer to intimacy and say like, look, we just had a sleepover and I'm going to hang out at your house for an hour and have brunch with you. And then I'm going to go home and that's going to be okay. And kind of helping them understand like you can be in this relationship and still be independent unfortunately, a lot of anxious people and avoidant people date each other. And so they reinforce these bad habits where it's I'm chasing you and you're pulling away. And I think that's exciting. And you think, oh, this is what it's always like. And so it's not until you break that pattern that people really have a change. And so of all the things that I teach, of all the um, research that I've studied, I think this is one that has the most aha moments for people. Because when you hear that story, you're like, oh, I've always been doing that. I always try to convince somebody to like me. I always chase people. I feel like if somebody doesn't want me, then they must be better than me. And so sort of understanding like this is a type of person that's bringing out a style in you and you can make a different choice. I think that's so empowering for people. I mean, Hard relate to the anxious
0: attachment style. That is me to a T. Every single thing you said—that is exactly how I've been my whole life with relationships. Yeah.
3: What helped you get out of it?
0: I don't, I don't know if I am like—I mean, I'm
3: married. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that you've gotten over it, but maybe you haven't.
0: I mean, I definitely—I think I definitely still have some abandonment issues. um But my husband is very secure he has a very what did you say like a very secure attachment Mm -hmm. style very secure and I actually it's it's really it's really like validating to hear you say all that and to know that that's not just because I'm weird that I act like that or not because I don't know there's a reason for it and it's like a common thing it's kind of it's just validating to hear that and I think I I think going into dating if I'd have known things like that going into dating and also been able to identify the part your partner's attachment style as well that would have made life a lot easier, I think.
3: That's exactly how I feel. I'm like, this is real. Like, this is based on research. A lot of people have studied this. This isn't like somebody's like pet theory on TikTok that's going to be the opposite next week. And I'm like, how can more and more people know about this? And so I love frameworks. I love these things. I also, my um, kind of contribution to this world is something called the three dating tendencies. And so people can take this quiz on my website, but it basically tells you what kind of dater you are insofar as... Um, unrealistic expectations. So like in my coaching, people come to me and they're like, you know, it's always a different story, but it's sort of the same story. It's like, I really want to be in a relationship. It hasn't worked out. Here's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Can you help me? And then oftentimes there's this common theme of unrealistic expectations, and sometimes it's unrealistic expectations of themselves. So those people are hesitators, and they're not dating at all, and they think, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not impressive enough, I don't have this job title, I don't have enough money, I need to work on myself, and then I can date. And it really has to do with self-love, because they're like, I'm not lovable yet, I have to make these changes. And then sometimes people are maximizers, and they have unrealistic expectations of their partners. And I'm sure you know people like this where they're like, well, he was great. But if I could take his looks plus his body plus his ambition, then I would have this perfect person. Oh, I just have to keep searching. And they think there's this eventual perfect person that they'll meet. And they get so so caught up in that that they don't realize well nobody's perfect everyone has a set of problems you get to choose which set of problems and then the last type is the romanticizer who has unrealistic expectations of relationships and they're the ones who are always thinking about the soulmate love at first sight i don't want to use the apps i want something more romantic and they get very caught up in the story as opposed to understanding that relationships are messy and you have to build them with someone and it's not really about the rom-com version of love
1: I have friends that fit in every single (laughs) one of those categories. As you were speaking, I was like, I know all these people. Yes. Oh, my God. You're so so (laughs) wise.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
3: Tell, tell me, tell me about your friends. So they they fall into each of these categories. It's just so interesting hearing, like watching my friends date because I've been with my husband
1: since we I was eighteen. Wow. Um I know so long. So I never dated really. Like I, it was him, and then that was, and then now we're married, and I have a kid, and that's that. So, but but watching my friends date, and particularly like this time of our lives, where like I've got a kid. And some of them are still, you know, like, single and whatever. And watching people date, I find it... It's so weird to me because I have nothing to offer them. I can't help. I don't know. Like, so it's really... I don't know, but it's so interesting being able to understand them better. Like, hearing you describe the the different ways that people operate in that way. And particularly, I find, I think... Well, there's two things I want to talk about. The first one being the hesitator, because I hate that, the self-doubt. And I feel like that's a familiar thing for so many women. And then the second one being... The maximizer, because all I can hear in my head is the ick, and people talking about yes, the ick and the yes. ick and the ick, and how many love stories yeah. have just been ended with like someone tying their shoelaces up or sneezing too loudly or <laughs> whatever it is. Which is, do you, in in your uh, in opinion, which is the most common and also which is the easiest to kind of un to pull yourself out from,
3: undo? Yeah. So I would say. When I was doing my research for my book, so that's before I worked at Hinge, I worked with a lot of maximizers, and I think that kind of makes sense. That's the kind of person who would seek out coaching, right? Someone who's like, well, I just want to plan, and I want to search, and I want to find it, and Logan's coaching is going to be part of that. So I would say a lot of my clients were maximizers, especially in the Bay Area where I live, like a lot of like engineers, and tech people, and product managers that are very much go-getters. So I had a lot of those clients. And then I had fewer hesitators because a hesitator who's not dating is less likely to sign up for coaching. But now that I, you know, my book's been out there for a while and like, I think over a hundred thousand people have taken my quiz. It's actually more balanced and a lot of people are hesitators. I would say maybe the rarest is romanticizer. Um, that's the one that I don't see as much. So I would say I see a lot of maximizers and a lot of hesitators.
0: I have a question and I could be completely barking at the wrong tree here, but do you think that online dating has bred more maximizers because of this? I I guess maybe like this sense, this, this feeling of like abundance and also combine that with we kind of like we're generation... Is it Generation Y? Like, we can get what we want when we want it, um, especially with the internet. Do you think that's kind of like online dating has has like fueled that people thinking, well, I'll just keep swiping for someone better, for someone better. Like, I'll keep going until I get the perfect person. Yeah. And it's actually detrimental to you know, them.
3: You I have a chapter in my book um, that's called Why Dating is Harder Now Than Ever Before. And you can tell your mom I said that. And I really think about how a lot of society in general has created that feeling. So, you know, we recently had Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all of these times Mm -hmm. when people are searching for deals. And like this morning, I'm literally Googling like best winter gloves. And then I'm reading all these review of gloves. And then I'm like, oh, well, do I care if I can use my phone while wearing the gloves? And it's kind of this sense of what researchers call relation shopping, which is shopping for a partner. Um, as if they were a product. So as if you were looking for gloves and you were saying, how expensive are they? How yeah. warm are they? Do they have um, the ability to use your phone during them? And sort of, instead of calling it relationshipping, which is the process of getting into a relationship. And so I think society in general has really helped Not maybe helped is the wrong word. Society in general has really led to this feeling of like, I can always get something better. I can always trade up. What's the new iPhone? What's the new drink at Starbucks? And so I think we have a mentality of there's always the right answer and I can just research my way to it. And that's what I find with maximizers. And so this will happen to me with clients all the time where they come to me and they'll say, I know exactly what I want. I have a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. that analyzes every person I've ever dated. I just need your help finding somebody that has these qualities. And they're so confident in that. And then I try to talk to them and say like, hey, you've actually dated a bunch of people like that. It hasn't worked out. Maybe that's not the right combination for you. And so really helping them understand- That you think you know what you want, but you might be wrong. And it's possible that what you're looking for is completely different from what will make you happiest long term, because what will make you happiest long term, you haven't dated someone like that yet. And so I'm really a fan of people dating against their type or exploring different types of people because I think people just go get so caught up in like, I know what I want, I just have to find it. And it's like, well, actually maybe you need to expand your horizons a little bit and then see what kind of person makes you happiest.
1: With the abundance of maximizers that this culture breeds I imagine and again as we've just established I have no authority to even speculate on this but I imagine that makes it actually more of a hostile environment for the hesitators like if you're already feeling quite self-conscious or insecure or like you don't have the confidence Mm. to go out and date does it make does the maximizers and, and the amount of max maximizers make it harder for the hesitators to even try because I imagine if I if I felt like I were being perceived and co- consistently and never measuring up and I, I kept meeting all of the, these types of people, it would knock my confidence. Do you find that maximizers make hesitators more hesitating?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think part of that would be like, do we think that when you go on a date, you know what the other person is like? I think maybe like a maximizer isn't sharing, oh, here's how I'm measuring you against somebody mm. else. I think for the hesitator, the main thing that makes them a hesitator is that... um they're just not dating at all. And so once they're going on a Mm -hmm. date with a maximizer, like I would just be proud of the hesitator for putting themselves out there. And that's some of the most exciting part of my work is when I take someone from like zero to one, like you're not dating at all to now you're dating. And that's really fulfilling for me because I'm like, look, like you'll never be perfect. You'll never have the perfect profile that there's no such thing as that. And instead let's focus on how to um, make you the best possible person that you are and then keep going from there and it's like have an 8 out of 10 profile like start from there see what happens and I think they get so caught up like well I couldn't possibly date now because I don't have the perfect pictures it's like well start with what you have and we can improve over time and so it's kind of taking you out of that black and white thinking of like I'm either not ready or I'm ready and say like we're all works in progress and let's have you start dating.
1: You talked about the most satisfying and exciting part for you being getting people from zero to one if somebody is listening and they are at zero, what advice or steps would you recommend that they took to get themselves to one?
3: Yeah, great question. Um, So for hesitators, I would give them a pep talk and I would say, nobody's perfect. You don't have to reach this perfect outcome of 100% ready and then be ready to date. That doesn't exist for anyone. I want you to start dating now. And um here are some steps that you could take. So first of all, if you're not, if you don't have a profile on Hinge, I would make one. And so I would take the steps of just downloading Hinge, getting six photos. Um, Here are some good tips for photos. So your first photo should be a clear headshot. This is what your face looks like, no filters, no sunglasses. Then you wanna have at least one photo of you doing an activity that you love, you with friends and family. Um, Just show us that you have an active social life and kind of paint a picture for us of your life and you want to have variety. So don't have six pictures of you and your best friend or six pictures of you and your dog, like different pictures that show different parts of who you are. And then you have the ability to write these prompts. So that's a chance to show us what's your personality like, what's important to you, what would dating you be like. And so I would fill those out in a way that feels specific to you. So avoid some of the cliches. um, And you can Google, you know, hinge app cliches or ask your friends, but there's certain things that people write, like I'm overly competitive about everything. And that kind of turns people off because they're like, oh, you didn't put that much effort in. And so avoiding cliches, being specific, and showing both a humorous side and a vulnerable side. And so just getting the app downloaded and starting to date. And from there, I would say, be compassionate with yourself. You're not going to be the best conversationalist in the beginning, you're going to make some mistakes, you're going to be rejected and just kind of owning that similar to applying for your dream job, or anything else in life, things that are worth doing, require taking risks and possibly being rejected. And so really understanding that You are not born knowing how to date. You're not born being a good dater. And that instead of giving up and saying, oh, I suck at this, I don't want to do it anymore, saying, this is a skill. If I learned guitar, I wouldn't be amazing at guitar the first time I picked it up. And so really just owning that it's a process and that if you really want to find someone and you want to get to that end state of being in a relationship, you are going to have to put yourself out there and go through these ups and downs. And so for the hesitator, it's really about... Being on dates, understanding that there's no such thing as being 100% ready, um, having a profile that's good enough and you can improve it over time, and really just being easy on yourself and saying, I'm learning and this helps me get closer to my goal.
0: I love that. I love that advice. And essentially just be a bit kinder to yourself, right? Which is what kind of what you're saying. Exactly.
3: Because I think yeah. that hesitators really are so hard on themselves.
0: I have a question that is a little bit random, but going, if you don't mind me asking, going back to talking about like our types and like what we perceive as our types, I heard that the the first person that we fall in love with, that kind of wires our brain to look for someone and something similar to kind of replace that or recreate that. Is that true? Do we end up searching for like the first person that we fall in love with? Or a a different version of them.
3: I've heard versions of that. And then I've also heard the opposite. It's like, if you date this person, then everybody else is in reaction to it. I've heard the same thing about people and their parents and all of that stuff. So I would say like a lot of this stuff around relationships, you can find one theory and then you can find the exact opposite theory. And that's one of the reasons why I like the attachment theory stuff so much. Because I'm like, this really just has been reproduced so many times over the last 60 years. This is very Reliable, but what I would say, kind of the root of your question is, we do develop these patterns. So if we get, if we are anxiously attached and we date someone who's avoidant, we think that love is chasing somebody. Like we're not like, oh, oh, I always tend to date people who I chase. It's like, no, love equals the chase. And if you're avoidant, attached, and you've dated people who are anxiously attached, you think love equals somebody smothering me. And so it's like your whole Mm. version of this entire world of romantic relationship is love is this thing and then when you break out of that pattern you're like oh there was another way it didn't have to be like this and so I do think that our early experiences really impact us whether it's our self-esteem whether it's um how Open we are, whether we trust people, like I'm sure that we all know people that are not putting themselves out there because they've been cheated on or somebody has really betrayed them. And so it's one of these things where it's like dating is like a garden where each time you have a relationship with somebody, you're planting a seed and then that seed is growing and flowering in your garden. And then your dating life is that whole garden altogether. It's not like each time you move on to a new plot of land. And so you are a culmination of the different relationships you've had. And that's why I love working with younger people, because I'm like, if I can help prevent that traumatic situation in college, or I can help you choose better matches from the beginning, I would love for you to have this garden that's has less trauma in it and more relationships that really helped you become who you want to be.
1: Going back to the attachment style stuff, do you believe, it, it would be interesting if, if you had a minute to explain where, where the research showed and where it stems from in scientists' opinions, but also if with that in mind, you can change it
3: yourself and if you can rewrite your attachment style as an adult. Sure, yeah, I can get into all of that. So the best book on this is called Attached And it's basically understanding how the science of attachment theory can help adult romantic relationships. So I would highly recommend that book. There's also another book called Hold Me Tight that's really good about all of this. So I'm sort of borrowing from all of that. So the origin of this research comes from actually research with babies. So there was a guy named John Bowlby who did this research in the 60s. And so what he would basically do is he would have the primary caregiver, which at that time was always a mom, come into a laboratory with the baby. So imagine it's a lab that's set up kind of like a little children's play area and he would have the mom come in and play with the baby in the area and then leave the room. And measure what happened to the baby. And so they saw different things happen to the baby. So some of the babies would cry a bunch when the mom left. And then when the mom would come back in, the mom would pick up the baby and the baby would still cry. And those are the anxiously attached babies. It's like, I got upset when you left. And even when you're back, I don't feel better because you might leave again. I need to be near you because I don't trust that you won't abandon me. Then they had babies where... The mom would leave the room, the baby wouldn't cry. When the mom came back in, the baby would ignore the mom, but they knew from other measures that the baby was really upset, they just weren't showing it. And those are the avoidant attached babies where it's like, I can't trust you, so I'm not gonna show that I care about you because I'm afraid that you won't be here for me, so I'm not gonna get close to you. And then there's the securely attached babies, where when the mom would leave, the baby would cry, the mom would come back in, the mom would pick up the baby, and the baby would stop crying. And those are the securely attached ones, because it's like, well, I did get upset when you left, but now you're back, so I feel fine. And so this research was really done for a long time, not with romantic relationships, but with understanding what is the role that the primary caregiver gives to children. And so it was like the way that the mother interacts, the way that the primary caregiver interacts is impacting kind of this child's ability to take risks or feel safe or all of those things. And then over the years, that's been applied to romantic relationships. I don't want anyone to take away the message of like, my mom messed me up. And if only my mom had done this, I'd be in a relationship. It's honestly much more complicated than that. But I think the basis of it is in this child research. And then the application of it over the years has been to romantic relationships. And I think the fact that so many of us relate to it and can say like, I was like that. Here's how I changed. Just kind of reinforces, I think, how how meaningful it is. And then in terms of people changing it. So one way is dating a secure partner. Because that can help you break your pattern. And around 50% of daters are securely attached. So you might think, oh, that's pretty good. I can find someone. But the caveat is that many of them are already in relationships and they don't get out of them. So the pool is a lot of avoidant and anxious people. But you don't have to be worried because there are things that you can do on your own. So if you're anxiously attached, a big thing to do is self soothing. And so I'm sure we've all had this experience where you are texting somebody and they stop responding and you kind of spiral and go into the danger zone and you think about all the things that are going wrong. What can you do instead? Can you distract yourself? Can you text somebody else? Can you go for a walk? Can you go to the movies where you can't use your phone? Really saying like, I know what it's like when I go to the danger zone and I send texts or calls that I don't want to. How can I prevent that from happening? And so really learning what your triggers are and then taking control of your behavior and saying, yes, what I want to do is text them a hundred times. I'm not going to do that because it doesn't create a good outcome and I'm scaring them off or Bothering them, I'm going to do something else. And so it's kind of owning your behaviors and keeping yourself out of the danger zone. For the avoidant attached daters, it's also about understanding that it's safe to bring somebody in and get close to someone. So if you have that sleepover on a Saturday night and then on Sunday morning the person hasn't left your house yet, instead of kind of exploding at them and saying, Hey, I'll call you an Uber, when are you going to leave? It's maybe Just stating your needs. Like, it was so fun hanging out with you. I'd love to see you again soon. I actually have a bunch of work I'm going to prep for my job tomorrow. So, you know, I'm going to head out soon to go to a coffee shop and work or whatever it is. And so for the avoidant people, it's about understanding that they have a natural tendency to push people away. And that might even be the ick, like finding all these flaws with people as a reason to not be with them. And that instead what they should focus on is how can I get more comfortable being closer to people? Amazing. Can we just,
0: quickly, can I just ask you about the ick? Is it a real thing? Is it a real thing or is it kind of just something we make up in our heads to... I, I, I don't know. Is there any... I don't think there can't be any science behind the ick, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the ick has gotten trendy in the last few years because it's really funny, right? Like, people want to have funny stories to post on TikToks. People love date entertainment. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh, you'll never believe what this girl did on my date, right? Like, there's you get social capital for sharing these stories. So I understand why it has taken off. And then... What I think happens with modern dating is that people just take each other for granted and so it's like oh this guy was perfect except for the fact that he did this one thing and it gave me the ick and now I'm gonna not going to see him again. If you didn't have as many options you might be like well I didn't like that thing about him but I'll certainly still see him again and so I think it becomes hmm. an excuse for pushing someone away and I've been doing some writing on this recently which is that I think that people that talk about the ick a lot really need to understand the difference between a deal breaker and a pet peeve. So a deal breaker would be a fundamental yeah. reason why you can't be with someone like we're of different religions and we care about that and we want to raise our kids that way or like i have asthma and you're a smoker like that's a real reason not to be with someone and um People get confused with the pet peeve, which is like my preference would be that you didn't do this thing, but it's not a reason that I can't be in a long-term relationship with you. And so the work that I try to do with people is helping them differentiate between pet peeves and deal breakers and understanding that a lot of the issues that they Mm. have are more um, of pet peeves and that they could get over them. And so for people that Mm. talk about the ick all the time, or they have a friend who talks about the ick all the time, I would just say, try to explore what's underneath that. And are you using this as a reason to not get close to someone? I
1: guess something we haven't even talked about and I guess kind of comes in from the ick is sexual attractiveness. And sometimes I I hear the ick spoken about a lot, like he gave me the ick and I just couldn't fancy him anymore because I don't know, he did something completely inane, like tripped over or Mm. I don't know. It's so unfair. Um, (laughs) But do you think with that in mind, you can like rustle up sexual attraction or no, no like how important is that initial spark that initial chemistry the initial yeah. sexual attraction or scientifically in your experience is it a slower burner should it be a slower burner trying to find that attractiveness
3: Yeah. So my views on this are that if there's no attraction at all, it's really hard for that to grow. So if you meet someone and you're not initially attracted at all, it would be pretty hard for that zero attraction to turn into something. But what people get confused on is people in the middle. So it's like, if I meet you and I'm a little bit attracted to you, but not as attracted to you as I was to someone else, that is a chance for it to grow. And so it's like, it can't go from zero to something, but lots of people can go from a little bit to something more. And I think an issue that I see in modern dating is that so many people cut it off too early. And they're like, well, I wasn't initially over the moon attracted to him. I didn't feel this initial spark. And so I don't want to see him again. And so a lot of the work that I do with people is help them notice the situations where there is some interest. And so I have this tool called the post date eight, and it's eight questions that people can ask themselves after a date that help them tune into things like, How did I feel around the person? What side of me did they bring out? Did I feel curious about them? And the goal is that you might see, oh, actually, like, you know, maybe I wasn't the most attracted to them, but there was a lot of stuff about them I'm interested in and I want to see them again. Or I felt terrible around them and I don't want to see them again. But it's helping you tune into how you feel because I think a lot of people have a lot of, Separation between what's going on with them and the decisions that they're making. So like, I'm sure you know people where they're dating someone who's not nice to them, but they're like, he's so good on paper. It's like, well, who cares about the paper if when you're with them, you feel bad about yourself? And so helping people tune in more to how they're feeling. Yeah, and and I guess that's actually, that's so important
0: for just like the average person who is dating to really like evaluate and assess rather than make not even rash decisions, but like decisions, but not necessarily based on, or or I guess without exploring like why they're making these decisions. And I feel like, I feel like pinpointing your attachment style must be so important for this.
3: Totally. So... When I'm thinking about Hinge and people getting ready for dating in the new year, one of the best things that they could do is really audit their dating lives and say, where am I now? Where do I want to go? What's been holding me back? And so they might talk to a friend or a therapist or their journal and just say things like, okay, so I consistently seem to choose people like this. Then they end up breaking up with me here's what ends up happening, or I choose people like this, and then I break up with them. Why is that happening? And just getting a little bit clearer about what's going on. And then saying, like, does that feel good? Does that not feel good? What do I want to do instead? And I think that people sometimes feel like, oh, if I just keep dating, I'll figure it out. But I work with people in their 70s who haven't figured it out. And so it's not just a matter of time. It's also a matter of really being self-reflective and saying, who am I? What do I want? what's happening right now? How can I make different choices? Like it's in those moments of self-reflection that you really get a chance to make different changes. And so with my clients, some of the most satisfying moments are when they say, Not, oh, I have a boyfriend, which of course I'm happy about. But when they say I was dating this guy, he wasn't treating me that well. I could tell that there were red flags. I didn't ignore them and I broke up with him. I'm like, yes, that's a huge win because running away from red flags is a really important part on the process, on the way to finding this great relationship.
1: Just going back quickly to the chapter in your book about modern dating being harder than ever. And we can tell our mom's that. Um <laughs> why do you think that is? Like, do you think we've kind of created quite uh beyond obviously we you touched on it before with this kind of like maximizer like abundance, there's always something better, Black Friday attitude to everything. Do you think we and I often wonder this just in general with our humanity on social media. Do you think we slightly dehumanise each other? I don't know, like, with hook-up culture, I don't know with social media, like is romance of the day, like days gone by, like, is that gone? Like, t- taking someone out to the dances? Like, I don't know. Like, my grandparents met at an actual dance. Oh. I know. But then also they legally, like, couldn't get divorced. So I don't know. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess you look at every stage... You can look at every stage like this, but what where do you think the like modern landscape is with dating
3: compared to where it was? And why do you think it's so much harder now? Yeah, so I should say that there's things that I actually think are easier now. So for example, if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community or you're over fifty-five, if you're one of these groups that in general has trouble finding somebody who is single and would be interested in you, and like, you know, if you're gay and you go to a club, you don't know who's also gay and who would be interested in you. And like, so for certain groups, it's much, much easier to find someone. And I think the evidence supports this. So since 2017, the majority of couples that meet and are in successful relationships met online. So obviously this is helping many people. I think that we are in this weird stage of technology where people have personas and we sort of get wrapped up in what's the message that I'm sending on my Instagram or what am my story show? Does my life seem cool enough? And so I think that there is a lot of projecting that people do around who they are. And I think that we get in the way, that gets in the way because it's like, am I meeting you or am I meeting your online persona? The good news is that if you're using online dating, once you meet, It's still the same as if you had met through a matchmaker. It's still like once you meet, now the date is up to you. And so the app is the online matchmaker getting you that connection. But once you're the two of you at a bar, the two of you going for a walk, it's just about the two humans in front of you. And so I think the more that we can think about the apps as just a way to meet someone and get off the date versus all of like the messaging for months and all of that, I think that really slows people down. And so in general, I always suggest that people get off the apps as quickly as possible, get Onto a date, and that's really where they're going to make the most progress.
0: Can I ask how? I've got so many questions. I'm like, aware we have to let you go soon, but I've got so many questions. Can I ask how you, for your clients, how you help them reframe rejection? Because online dating, particularly, comes with a lot of rejection, which can be painful, which can be, I imagine, a deterrent from continuing to date. How do you help them reframe it and push past it and just keep? keep going
3: yeah it's a really great question and i think it's so appropriate for this time of the year and for gen z in particular so all the research that i've been doing with gen z a big thing is like i want to be in a romantic relationship and i want a partner but i'm afraid of rejection and so that stuff is hard but i just try to give them like a pretty overall pep talk around what rejection is. It's like, if you're not getting rejected, then are you not going after what you want? And sometimes I think it's easier to talk to people about careers versus dating because it somehow feels like less personal, less triggering, things like that. And so I would just say to them, like, if you only ever took a job where a LinkedIn recruiter messaged you or, you know, your friend said, hey, there's an opening at this job, are you going to get your dream job that way? Probably not. You're going to get your dream job by figuring out what do I love? What's my passion? How can I go after what I want? How can I email this person? How can I ask for a favor? How can I take a risk? And really understanding that when you want something, you need to take risks to get it. And part of taking risks is risking rejection. And if you can just own that rejection and say, great, I got rejected." today that's a sign that I'm going after what I want that's a sign that I'm trying hard and so it's like I do think rejection hurts it's really hard to be told I don't want you it's really hard to be told you know I slept with you and I don't want to see you again like I'm not invalidating that all of that stuff is painful I'm instead saying if you think about dating as a journey and this as a necessary part of that journey you sort of take some of the sting out of it and so um have you ever heard that expression that's like, if you've never missed a flight, you're spending too much time at the airport. Yeah, I love that. No, but I love it. Right? It's You get it. It's basically <laughs> saying like, you if you don't want to be spending hours at the airport, occasionally you're going to cut it too close and you're going to miss a flight. And that's the risk you're willing to yeah. take to mostly not spend too much time at the airport. Well, that's how I feel about this. It's like, if you've never been rejected and you're probably not aiming high enough. And so for people, I would just say, yes, rejection sucks. It really hurts. But it's a muscle that you can build up. It's a, you know, skin on your, it's like skin that you can build up over time so that you get thicker skin and it's not as hard for you. And just kind of saying people that are in these great relationships that you admire, they put themselves out there and they risk things along the way. And that's a necessary part of getting what you want. And so the sooner that people can experience rejection and understand that it hurts, but you'll move on, the more that they will be ready to be in these great relationships.
1: That's such a cool reframe. Yeah, I love that. That's also going straight in my back pocket to tell Alex next time he tries to make
3: me get to the airport like five hours early. so (laughs) funny in couples. There's always one. There's often one that wants more and more time at the airport, and one that's like, "Come on, who wants to sit down? Let's just board the flight (laughs) as soon as we get there."
0: Can I ask you a question? I'm just really intrigued about on a personal level. Sure. Do anxious people ever? Do they commonly attract anxious people because I could not be in a relationship with another anxious person it would be an absolute mess a state
3: yes yeah, so if there were two of,
0: us, two of us two of me god
3: um that's exactly what ends up happening so usually anxious anxious doesn't happen because they annoy each other and it's also like not the fun of the chase and then avoidant avoidant doesn't happen that often because neither of them is really willing to put in the effort I feel a bit sorry for the secured people because they f- they get lumbered with all the
1: shit. Did secure people find <laughs> secure people, or do they just is it just their cross to bear that they end up with
3: <laughs> yeah. people like me? <laughs> I I know what you I know what you mean, but it's honestly like they're secure and they can make somebody else be secure. So it's not like oh I have to deal with all this drama. It's like they're actually bringing out the best in that other person, and so you shouldn't feel too bad for them. Sometimes secure and secure wind up together, but it's almost like secure is like the universal donor if you know about like blood yeah. types and everything where it's like they can fit with a lot of people so it's almost like oh well this anxious person has a lot of baggage that's hard it's like well the secure person is bringing out the best side of them so they're really seeing the best in that person. And so I understand the root of your question, but I would actually just say in general, secure people are able to make those relationships work by helping somebody see, like, hey, that's not a healthy habit. Let's try something else. Or like, I like you. I want to see you again. I'm not going to play a game. And so it's, they're creating a lot of aha moments for the other people, but it's not at a cost to yeah. them, I would say.
0: I, as soon as we finish this call, I'm going, like, running upstairs to my husband and explaining to him, oh, that's so this so sweet. is why. I am the way that I am. And bless you for being so secure and patient.
3: (laughs) Oh, yes. I totally feel that way about my husband too. And yes, so I would recommend those books that I mentioned, Attached and Hold Me Tight. And Mm. I think for anyone listening who is excited about this, there's so much in the field of attachment theory that's really, really helpful. And if you've been stuck for a long time, getting familiar with this could be the thing that gets you from where you are now to the next stage of being. Amazing. Thank you so
0: much. It's been so cool to talk to you. So cool
3: yeah it was so fun meeting both of you thanks for being so passionate and excited about all of this and I'm really glad that you're bringing this information to all of your listeners thank you so
1: much me too I
0: think there's going to be a lot of of light bulb moments for a lot of people listening as well
1: I do too I'm hoping that we're going to see like a spike in hinge downloads and then in about like a year's time a whole load of save the dates to should I delete that Times hinge wedding invitations. Yay! Yeah, okay, yeah.
3: I want that too. Great. Well, thank you so much and so good to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Thanks, Logan. Logan. Thank you.
0: Should I delete that? part of the ACAS Creator Network.
2: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.